welcome to the Restoration Church Life Podcast. We hope this resource helps keep you informed about the various happenings inside the life of our church and equips you to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Take about 10-15 minutes and I'm just going to give you a brief refresher of the importance of church membership. So everything I'm about to tell you should not be new to you. Uh, it's all taught in the new members class. Uh, all I'm going to do is just kind of give us a refresher in it. And so what I'm going to do, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're going to hang out most of our time there. Uh, so as you're turning there, uh, what we see throughout the storyline of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God has always had a people that were for himself marked out from the rest of the world. That's always been from the beginning, from Genesis to Exodus. God is holy, which means he's set apart. Therefore, he has a people that are holy. That is, they are set apart. And so Adam and Eve, we see, are a people in God's place. And they had particular things that marked them that they were to do and not to do in particular. Fast forward to Noah and his family. They are set apart from the rest of the world that's destroyed. We find that Abraham, right, is set apart in the covenant. He is a person set apart. His seed, his particular seed, note that it's not, Ishmael was not among the people set apart, but it was the covenant son Isaac are set apart, and then Jacob, and eventually Israel. In Israel, the nation is set apart from the rest of the world. They are given commands, as well as the sign of circumcision, to mark them off from the rest of the world. Uh, and after, of course, they fail in keeping God's covenant, God sent his son to keep the covenant for his people. And of course, we know Christ himself is clearly marked off from the rest of the world. And through his obedience in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, he offered himself to the world that through faith and repentance, a new covenant people would be formed and they would be the distinct citizens of heaven here on earth. They would be set apart on earth. And they are called in the New Testament, you're familiar with this, sojourners and exiles, people that are marked off holy to God, different from the world, set apart from the world. And so we see Jesus even talking and teaching about the separation of his people from the world. So you've got the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? You've got the illustration of the sheep and the goats, the sheep and the wolves, and light and darkness. And so God has always intended that his people be noted as distinct, as set apart from the world. In the world, yes. Of the world, no. And so the tool that God is primarily using to mark his people off in the new covenant is the church. We talked a little bit about this this morning. But where God has worked through the nation of Israel, say in times past, he now works through the church. Now, he does use entities like FCA and CO. We're going to talk about both of those things tonight. The International Mission Board, we love those, support those. Uh, but he's primarily working through the church to display his communal love to the world. And so what is a church? It's an important question. You should have an answer to three things. What constitutes a church? Three things. Three things. One, the proper preaching or teaching of God's word. We could call that the proclamation of the gospel. And two, the proper administration of the ordinances, Lord's Supper and Baptism. That would be the portrayal of the gospel. And thirdly, the exercising of restorative church discipline, which protects the gospel. So uh, we find that that's what a church is made up. That's how you would define a church. That's a classic definition. Um, it's assembly of people that are giving themselves to these things. Now, when you turn over to Matthew 16, we find Jesus uh, really kind of helping us understand some of the most important aspects of church membership. If you look down there in verse 16, uh, you'll notice, well, first of all, we find this in verse 13. Jesus comes into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's verse 13. 
And they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others prophet, or one of the, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And this is a critical piece, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so here we find that Peter is rightly understanding who Jesus is. So when he says he's the Christ, we've got to understand the context of what that means. He's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the completion of all the promises of God. Uh, you're the anointed. And so notice where Jesus attributes that that enlightenment came from. Look at the very next verse. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't pick this up on your own. He says, but my Father who is in heaven, he revealed this to you. And so we have the proper understanding of who Jesus is from Peter and who Jesus represents. And then look what comes next, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right. So uh, he says this word church there, this word church. Uh, some of you probably heard this word. It comes from the Greek word. I wouldn't normally do this in a sermon, but I think it's helpful to us. Uh, the word ekklesia. It's made up of two Greek words. The first word is ek, which means out. Kaleo, which means called or called out. So the word ekklesia is this combination of a Greek word that means like the assembly of the called out ones. That's a very technical definition of the word church in the Bible. And that's the word that Jesus uses there in Matthew 16, 18. He's going to build his assembly of the called out ones. Uh, and we... Uh, find that he's going to do this on this rock, Jesus says. He's going to build this church, this assembly, on this rock. Now, what's the rock? There's all kinds of, you know, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is going to say it's Peter, the person. Protestants tend to represent that it's the confession. I think it's probably both. I think it's probably both. It's both Peter and the confession. The, this rock that Jesus is going to build his church on is the proper understanding of who he is, the Christ, the gospel, and the person that's properly understanding that and living more than understanding, of course, living it out. And so that's the rock that Jesus is going to build on, the proper understanding of the gospel and the proper person that's attributing that to the gospel. And then look what comes next, verse 19. And I will give you the keys. This is to those, I think, that understand Christ, been changed by the gospel, that properly understand who Jesus is. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one. If you want to know what that means, pull me aside. I have you tell you. He's protecting the gospel Jesus is. So he wants to make sure it's complete before he starts telling anybody to go tell anybody. That's what verse 28 means in a nutshell. But anyway, what you have here is you have a proper confessor, Peter, with the proper confession, the gospel, Christ, who he is, what he's doing. And he says of that rock that he was going to give the keys of the kingdom. What are those keys? Again, you're going to have the proper confession to the proper confessor. And those keys, what are those keys going to do? He says they're going to bind and loose. Right? Bind and loose. That is gather in and let go. Open and shut. But bind and loose, what? Gather and let go of who? Well, the answer is clear there, right? Those that stand on this rock. The proper understanding of who Christ is. And so you've got a true confession of the true gospel and a, tr and a proper confessor, which is represented in Peter. So in other words, the church does what Jesus did. The church does what Jesus did for Peter. Church does what Jesus did for Peter. Namely, he recognizes Peter properly understands the gospel. Uh, and hopefully, Lord willing, is working it out. 
Now, it's important that you understand that very specifically. Namely, the church does not make confessors. Did you catch that? We don't make Christians. God makes Christians. Right? We're just recognizing the proper confessors to the proper confession. That's all we're doing. God is the one that saves people. So let me give you an illustration of it. So the church is sort of like an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. So you think about it. If you're an American, we've got a lot of people that are not Americans in here. But if you were an American and you were to move, let's say, to Iraq and you didn't have a passport, what would you do? Well, you would go down to the local American embassy, wouldn't you? And you say, I need a passport. And what would they do? They would ask you questions to make certain that you're an American citizen. They would validate your citizenship. And after doing so, they would issue you a passport and stamp your passport and say, this is yours. This is yours. You're a citizen of America. Of America, And that's all the church is doing, is we're, con- we're properly understanding this is the right understanding. You're a citizen of heaven, the gospel, you understand the gospel, and that person is properly associated to that. So an embassy, of course, as I said, does not make you an American. They simply authoritatively represent the American government. And so in the same way, the church is representing on earth the kingdom of heaven. That's that language of binding and loosing. And so, guys, this is exactly what church membership is attempting to do. It's attempting to recognize the proper confession of Christ and the gospel to the proper confessors, the believers of the church. And so as confessors of the confession of the gospel, we have been given the keys to responsibly bind and loose, open and close the door of the kingdom since we are Christ's emissaries or ambassadors or representatives on church. For, for the church. So for instance, tonight, in just a moment, when we recommend Haley and Atu to you to be members of the church, that's, you're going to be exercising the keys of the kingdom, the keys that you have. So notice, notice the keys are not just given to the pastors. The keys are given to all those that are Christians. And so when we bind and loose, when we take in, Lord willing, a Haley and a two, you're going to say, here's my key, here's Haley's key. Yes, same key, same life. Bring her in. Same thing with the two. Or when we resign memberships like we will with Elisa and Greg Pelton tonight, we will recognize they have the proper understanding of the confession, they have the proper understanding of the gospel, and they're going to live it out at another gospel-believing church. We recognize that that church has the keys, we have the keys, they still have the keys because their life seems to indicate it. And so we're, all we're doing is recognizing that. And that's an important act because Christ commands us as a people to do that, to bind and loose in keeping with the keys of the kingdom. Now, there are two external signs signs that signal or indicate the keys of the kingdom, that indicate that you've been marked off, that you have the keys. And those two are what? Baptism and Lord's Supper. Right? So baptism is the one-time event where you declare your citizenship to the kingdom. This would be analogous to like taking an oath of citizenship ceremony when you kind of go one time and you take that oath of citizenship where you swear your allegiance to the country, the country recognize you as one of its citizens based off of that prior information. Or if somebody, so we'll, we'll baptize them then, or if somebody comes to us and they've never been biblically baptized, what we do is we're like that embassy. We just stamp the passport. We understand they have the gospel. They seem to be living the gospel. And so therefore we then affirm that. We stamp it through the one-time event of Baptism, believer's baptism. And then the Lord's Supper is that continual uh, citizenship. Now, the analogy is not nearly as much fun. And the metaphor kind of breaks down, nevertheless. But nevertheless, the, the metaphor is not nearly as joyful. But it's sort of like paying taxes or voting or filling out a census. All right? Lord's Supper is a lot more fun than that. But I couldn't think of another example, but I think it sort of illustrates the point. That when you pay vote, when you pay your taxes and you 
uh, actually take the census and you uh, vote and things like this. You illustrate that you're a citizen of America. So in the same way, as you take the Lord's Supper, that's what you're doing. You're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. You're saying, I have the gospel. And, and insofar as people are coming to take it, you know we do the whole, uh, what we call fencing the table. When I said, this is who can take it, this is who, who cannot take it. So when we see people come up, those should be the people that are acting in keeping with the confession as a confessor. And so these two ordinances are given by the church in order to exercise or mark off or bind and loose those who have the keys of the kingdom. Now that's the fun part. Uh, the not so fun part is when Jesus commands the church, not just the pastors, but the church, uh, to uh, have the church, the assembly, revoke passports when confessors stop matching the confession of the gospel. This is what we call restorative church discipline. This is part of that loosing piece. So uh, restorative church discipline is the loving act whereby the congregation says to an individual that their keys or their confession, their life is not matching the confession of Christ and the gospel. And so I'm not going to read that entire passage, but you'll notice, look down into Matthew 18, just flip over the page, probably one page. Matthew 18, look down at verse 15. So you're going to see, this is just a few, just a, you know, Gosh, what, a page or two removed from Jesus' call that he's going to build the church in Matthew 16. And Matthew 18 is connected to this idea that we read about in Matthew 16 of binding and loosing as the church with the keys. Uh, and so it's an important part that Jesus teaches. And therefore, we as a church should joyfully obey uh, Christ's command. Now, if you look down there, you'll see the, the process. You've heard this before. Verse 15, he talks about this idea Jesus does. If a brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is the kind of one-on-one. If somebody notices that the someone with the keys notices that someone else says that they have the keys and their life is not matching those keys, then the one person that has them should go and call them to repentance. And Jesus says there, if if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. In other words, this happens every week in the life of our church, right? So if somebody says something to you, you know, they're walking to your brother, I would encourage you towards whatever it is, and they, and they repent, on they go. But, verse 16, but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So God does not repent, so you get a couple more key owners, and they go to the other guy that's confessing to have the keys, and they call him again to repentance. And so Jesus says, if he, verse 17, hopefully he repents, comes in, and then on, it's done. But verse 17, but if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now notice, does it say tell it to the elders? No. It says tell it to the church, the assembly of the called out ones. So it tells it to the body of Christ. Because, why would Jesus say that? Because you have the keys, just like I have the keys. It's not like because I'm a pastor, like, well, my keys are a little better than yours. Right? Like, no, that's not the case at all. So you have the keys. We might use the language of the priesthood of all believers. You may have heard that before. We're all priests, so we all have keys. We all understand the gospel. And so Jesus would have us to tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be treated to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, be treated as someone that's not marked off. Someone that's not, someone that's like the rest of the world, not marked off from the world. Treat them like that because they don't have the keys. And then notice what he says next in verse 18. You're going to notice it's a very similar language, almost the exact same language what Jesus just said about the keys in Matthew 16. Verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Same language that he talked about before in Matthew 16. And so, uh, since Christ commands the church to take that final step, 
that tells the individual, uh, that tells us that the individual cannot sidestep the process by trying to remove themselves from the process. Just as the congregation bound them, the church bound them, that is, welcome them in, so the congregation must loose them, must send them out. So an individual member cannot attempt to dodge the process of the church's binding and loosing. So just to be clear, though, to, for, as, when it comes to discipline, restorative church discipline, one, it notes the, the act, the intention in the act is to restore them. It's not to be mean. We want to restore them. But two, the issue at hand is unrepentant sin. See, all of us sin. Anybody in this room not sin? Right. Good answer. So, like, the issue at the issue at hand is unrepentant sin. Someone that's unwilling to turn away from leaning into sin, thereby denying the keys that they claim to have. And Christ commands us that we loose them or set them apart so that they would understand that they are not marked off. I would encourage you to go back, if you want more information on this, go back and read verse 1 Corinthians 5. Paul uses even stronger language in here. Release them over to Satan. But he says for the purifying of their flesh that they would get outside the church so that they would see, no, I want to come back. Which is where we get the restorative piece. So restorative church discipline is a congregational voice that tells the unrepentant person that though you take the name of Christ, though you claim to have the keys, we who have the keys do not believe that you possess them because you're unwilling to live in light of those keys. And so this, again, is the loosing, the shutting out. And friends, as harsh as this may seem to the outside world, this is intended to be a loving act that would eventually restore them. That's what Christ is after here. So the membership process is an attempt to utilize our keys to the kingdom and obey God's good command, Christ's good command, to bind and loose in keeping with those keys. But not only does the membership, church membership only bind and loose, it also defines the community that we are to obey Christ's commands to love one another in. It defines it for us. It helps us see so that we would be, like, like Paul said this morning in Philippians 2, that community that's displaying the kingdom so that the world could look at it. So the Bible help, uh, actually church membership helps define those one another commands. There's so many of those one another commands. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, forgive one another, be at peace with one another, confess sins to one another. There's so many others. And so the church membership helps us see where, what people were to be living that out with. And it also gives a definition to the community outside of the church that are not Christians to look in and see, hey, look, I see that community acting in a way that's different, marked off from the rest of the world. Hopefully they would be intoxicated by it and want to know more and come into it. And so as we do these things, as we care for one another, serve one another, support one another, do all the stuff on that church covenant, really, it's all it is. We be that community that produces a better narrative than the world around us. And so when Jesus says in John 13, 35, they will know you're my disciples, how? By the way you love one another. And church membership is attempting to, to define that so that a lost and dying world would look into that community and see how we do it for the Joy of Christ. So, our joy is served as a community in the gospel when we do these things carefully. The lost have a clear witness to the joy of the gospel. And thirdly, Christ is exalted when we're doing this. And of course, the opposite is also true. If we don't do these things of binding and loosing and serving one another and living out this, this covenant, which is God's word, basically. If we don't do these things, the opposite is also true. We don't serve the joy of one another. We diminish the witness of the gospel and Christ is not exalted. So Christ's plan to display the gospel and reach people with the gospel was by planting churches that would be communities that were previews of heaven, marked off from the world. Jesus said that he would build his church 
The disciples, we see in the book of Acts, they preach the gospel, and as people respond to the gospel, what do they do? They get, they get ingrained to a church. They start planting churches with them. And so we plant, as a church, we plant and we sustain churches out of love for God and love for neighbor, utilizing the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing, serving one another, supporting one another, loving the lost to the glory of God the Father as a people marked off from the rest of the world. There it is. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Restoration Church Life Podcast. May God continue to give us the grace to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Washington, D.C. and beyond.